Hey guys, today we talk the science and psychology of money. Would you like to get rid of financial stress and live a life where money frees you to live in the heart of your deepest passion and live peacefully as well as a life of meaningful purpose? Well, stay locked in and remember to share this episode with someone you care about. And please rate the show. Let me know how you feel about it. Leave a comment. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Brain and Branch Show. I'm Timothy Maurice, your behavioral psychology author. Today, I am thrilled to bring you a very special guest, financial literacy expert, activist, Michael Gilmore, author of The Little Book of Zen Money, A Simple Path to Financial Peace of Mind. He's also known as a $7 millionaire. Michael, welcome. Thank you very much, Tim. It's really great to be here. Lovely to come on and... uh and talk to you about, yeah, the inner workings of the mind. I'm looking forward to this a lot. Thank you so much. So we have a feature called Inside the Mind. Are you you're going to allow us and the listener to go inside your mind for seven questions? Sure. Let's do it. Number one, credit card or cash? Credit card. Coffee or tea? Because it's before four o'clock in the afternoon, coffee. (laughs) After four o'clock, tea. Yeah. (laughs) Walking or running? (sighs) Yeah. You come, you see, literally, I'm saying when I run, I walk, run. I I take walk breaks (laughs) when I run. So. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't like sitting on the fence on these things, but yeah, I'm a walk, I'm a walk runner, so I have to. Okay, Michael, you're cheating a little bit, so I'm going to put a bit more pressure on you. Okay, black Good. tie or business casual? I love black tie. Yeah, black okay. tie, easy. Black tie, awesome. Sunrise or sunset? Mm. Yeah, sunrise. Sunrise is special. You know, you don't get to see it every day, but every time you see it, sunset, the days are already kind of getting in your face, right? But sunset, yeah, yeah. the day's okay. not in your face yet. It's a good time. Okay. Listening to a book or reading one? Reading. Reading, definitely. Reading. Awesome. And then lastly, number seven, cryptocurrency or gold? Cool. Um, yeah, you got me. I, I don't, in, I don't intrinsically like either. Um, probably the right now crypto. Crypto. I guess that's the one that's probably more, more beaten up right now than the other. So yeah, maybe okay. crypto right now. But, okay. But full disclosure. I actually, full disclosure, I don't actually own either right now in my portfolio in any shape or form. So that probably tells you a bit more yeah. accurately. Well, Michael, thank you for allowing us to go inside your mind. I'm really excited to have you on the show for a whole lot of reasons, but I do think the world should be navigating life with a lot less financial and money stress. So I thought I'd bring you a special episode. This is a bit of a departure 
from what we normally have on the show. This show is really about applying behavioral science and neuroscience to decision-making, leadership, and so forth. So I would like to, you know, have this conversation through the lens of the brain. And I do think the listeners around the world would appreciate the conversation. So let's jump in. You've taught migrant workers in Singapore about money, but you've also taught your daughter about money. What was the fundamental difference, if there was any? Yeah, it's what's... There was no difference at all in what I wanted both groups to know. So if I look at my daughter as one group and I look at the migrant workers as another, I wanted them to come out with the same level of information and of confidence, uh, the confidence being crucial to that. But how you get to those points is, I, I, you know, I have a one of the sort of, the, the, not a mantra, but one of the beliefs I have about teaching money is I'm not trying to teach. I want people to learn. And my focus then becomes on the, the, the end user of the information. If I want to teach and I don't care if people learn, I can just stand in front of people and just say anything I want to say and it doesn't matter how it lands. But if I want them to learn, sometimes the most important thing for me to do is to get, is for me to get out of the room because I'm not the right person to teach that person. So, so the way this worked was, was two things. I was actually doing it both at the same time and I realized my daughter didn't know the things that I was trying to teach the migrant workers. And with the migrant workers, I worked very directly with them. We workshopped a lot of ideas. And basically, we had some, we were using some worksheets to, to go through what we'd been doing during the day. And, and then that built up into like a set of worksheets. And we turned that into a journal. And the beauty of this being a journal was like, nobody, nobody wants a worksheet, right? I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> no one wants work to do after class. <laughs> but if you say, this is your, no one wants a worksheet, right? But here's a journal. This is for you to write down about your life and where you're going. What you're doing. All of a sudden, that becomes them. And that really shows you the, the small difference that you start to make. Whereas with my daughter, is very different. My motivation was, was to get her the information and get the information in her head. But I realized that if, you know, if I, she was part of the, the time pressure on it was she's going off to university in a year. Uh, I may not, she may not come back from university, right? This happens. So I never get this chance to talk to her. But my, my weekend time with her was too precious for me to, to spend every single weekend lecturing her about money. I knew I couldn't teach her because <laughs> I, that's not what I want to do with my last weekends with my daughter, right? So I said to her, I'm going to write a book for you. You are going to edit. She's a storyteller. She's a writer. She writes plays. And so she's like, okay. I said, but you've got to edit it very closely. You've got to tell me when it bores you. And the moment it bores you, you tell me. Like when you stop reading, when you tell me bits you don't understand. So I would write stuff for her and it would come back with red marks all over it. Like this too much, you lost me here. I don't understand this. I skipped all this. It's like, okay, I have to change this. And I wouldn't take it personally. It's like, because that's the goal, right? The goal is not to take it personally. The goal is that she learns, not that I teach. And so, and that is it. so you, there's a similarity of attitude or of approach with both of them that led to very, very different things. I mean, we yeah. tried showing the, the book for my daughter to the migrant workers, and, and they're like, wow, this is all words. What are you doing? This is all words. This is all stories. There's too many words for us. Um, you know, it didn't wow. Work. And that, that's exactly I what I expected. Wow. You know, you're absolutely right, though. You, I can imagine going off to college, she could come back with a husband. She could come back. <laughs> you 
you had I, you had a key that was a key time. <laughs> so, it's a key time, and it's like I was, I was, I was. She knows I've been teaching American workings financial literacy for like seven or eight years before that time, and I was talking to her school saying, "Teach them the kids this stuff," and they they still didn't do it. I was like, you know, okay, it. I've got to do this on my own. Yeah, you know, the Japanese culture got many things right. You know, I've spent some time there working with Panasonic and mm. gone from East Osaka to Osaka to Kyoto to Tokyo. I really, I've been out in the rural areas yeah. and I, I, um, I'm a huge fan of the culture from, from Japanese theater to, you know, a lot of the intellectual mm. history. So, but one of the things, one of my favorite is the philosophy of Zen. I think most people know about it, but mm. share a little bit about why and how the Japanese culture has influenced you. Yeah. Zen in particular, I, I, I found it very interesting from a, from talking about money. Because there is this, it's not supposed to be easy, Zen. You know, it's not yes. supposed to be this easy minimalism. As long as I take everything off the table, I'm being Zen. No. You've got to do hard stuff. <laughs> You've got to remove the hard part of life, right? Um, and that's when you get to really discover it. And it's, and the, I think when it really became clear is when I was, there's, uh, Anne Watts, who's one of the people that popularized Zen, uh, Buddhism in, in the West. And uh, he used, he uses the phrase that Zen is about seeing reality directly. It's looking at life as it really is. Um, and, and that to me is like, this, what is the thing? What is the reason why we get so stressed about money? If we've got enough money, the reason we're getting stressed about it is because we're not looking at it realistically. We're living in wow. somehow or other. We're either living in our dreams or we're we're or we're engaging in avoidance and denial. One of those two things is knocking us one way or the other, and that's one of the reasons we live in in stress. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's is that Zen? Uh, zen money. There's many other aspects that come into it, but yeah, looking at it directly, stripping back, doing the hard things, but actually also seeing when life is truly good and valuable. It's almost never expensive, right? And this is the, this is what we get into in the book. It's like one of the ways we talk about it is in money journaling. And that could be as simple as just tracking your spending. That's seeing reality directly. I know people I've talked to about this for a week and then tell me how close you are to where you think you budget stuff. And then people are all over the place. And it's just like, no, I never realized I spent this much on this. I never realized I spent this much on this, right? It's like, until you write it down, you do not know. And that's, that's when you look at it directly. So it plays into that as well. So you've got this stripping back. You've got this, uh, you know, tracking what you do. But equally, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, it's actually not in Zen Buddhism, but it's in central Buddhism. There's this phrase, the, you know, this idea. That nirvana is this, you know, stripping away all wants. Like a mathematical definition of infinite happiness is zero wants, right? I mean, it's just one of the few philosophies that's actually got maths in it. And I thought, well, that's so Zen, right? If you if you apply that to actually your own life and say, okay, I can't have zero wants, just like nirvana, it's impossible. But the path there is way happier than just adding in. If I get more, I'll be happier. We all know that's not true. Yeah, she has to be much more focused on what you want, and that is what I hope to. That's what I really took from it. When did you become Zen-like in your own life when it comes to money? I suspect some people might think that I'm not, 
Um, you know, <laughs> are you aware? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and, it's, and it's interesting because one of my mentors is writing the book. There's a, is a, an author in the UK called JP. He wrote the book, um, How to Change the World. Uh, a fascinating book. And I talked to him about the root of my desire to work on financial literacy. It, 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 the fact that we don't teach anyone how to handle their money when we know that the one thing they're going to have to do the moment they leave school is handle money. It, it makes me genuinely angry and it always has. And I, he's like, and I, I say to him, it's, like, it's not very Zen. It's like, no, that's Zen. Anger is, the anger is valid. Use the anger. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, but I suppose that the issue is more, it's, I, I value the approach more than would say that I am Zen about anything. I tend to be fairly laid back, but yeah, there'd be people who disagree with that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really about the, the, the approach, you know, and, and bringing that approach to things, I think is more important. Well, let's talk about that approach that comes through in your book. It's a wonderful book, by the way. And I want to say congratulations on, you know, I think as an author myself, one of the things that I appreciate is writing style, packaging, and, you know, process in general. I think as an author, I've, there are very few book launches that I turn down if I'm invited because I just appreciate the fact that somebody put the time in, right? It's, it's a thing that I really, really value. Uh, and let's talk about the book, you know, did you wrestle with this book? Did you go back and forth or was it a process of writing that came quite natural because of your background in helping people with finance? Was it just one of those that you knocked out in a few months or was it laborious? It was quick. It was very, very quick. It was, it was actually not, um, it wasn't something I set out to write, say four or five years before. Um, okay. The, what, it was, that was the, the two books before that, the journal for the migrant workers and happy ever after. Yes. Both of those took years. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, years and years. A uh, little book of Zen money really came about from Wiley, who published happy ever after the one for my daughter. And they asked me if I had another one that I wanted to write. And I was like, not really. Um, <laughs> cause I, I'd written it for my daughter. And I was like, yeah, kind of, that's done, right? And they said, no, but who else do you want to talk to about money? And I was like, well, if I wanted to talk to anyone else, I was like, my daughter, and then everyone else. And I was like, yeah. like I, there's no one particular separate target market I want to talk to. And I was like, and that's why one of the reasons why one of the other things I do now is I organize awards for financial literacy because I, the global effort is so important and it's everyone else. And so I said that with the Zen money, I was like, and then I was like, I kind of went to sleep on it. And then one, one, one day I woke up and I was like, okay, what is the most universal thing about money? Because money is so particular. You know, it's, you know, in Africa, they've got they'll have one cultural concern in America, a different cultural concern in India, a different cultural concern. And like we said before, if you want someone to learn, you need to go through those avenues. I said, well, what is the most central concern? And it's stress. That's the thing that's most universally felt about money. And I thought, okay, I don't want to talk to people about, okay, reduce your stress. Because we all know reduction is not possible. You have to replace, right? I mean, yes. the basics of yeah. like most psychology, it's so much easier to replace something than it is to don't. It's Dostoevsky's uh, snow bear, white bear theory, right? If you tell yeah. them just not to think about the white bear, the only thing you can think about is the white bear. <laughs> so it's like, okay, how do we not think about, how do we not have stress? We have to have Zen. 
we have to move towards Zen. What also fit with that as well, and that was where the structure came about, was this understanding, and it's something I've talked about before, um, is the sense, with, with my daughter's book, was, was the concept of a path. And I, and I think the word simple path in the subtitle is, is as important as the Zen money in the title, because a simple path is, that one of the reasons we're so stressed is because we're not on a path. No one's told us how to be on a path. No one tells us where the path goes, where are we going, where have we come from? How do we get here? How do we put one step in front of the other? Instead, what happens is we don't think about money for 10 years and then someone says, do you want a mortgage? Do you want a fixed rate or floating rates? Do you want insurance on this? And it's like, I don't know anything about this. I have no idea. And then, and then we, we kind of read two or three articles on the internet. We kind of get some idea and we do it, but we're not certain. We're not sure of it. And we're not sure of it because we haven't walked the path to get to that point. And that's why the, the structure really wrote itself. So when I want people to feel less stressed, I want to give them a path. And I want to give them a path in multiple ways. And I want the path to be like a big, long path and say, this is how you go all the way to the end goal. But then here are your first steps as well. These are your first steps to get along that path. And, and that's really the, you know, you can, you can see, right, the structure is there, there, that's done, right? And that's yeah, what I want to yeah. give people is those different paths. One of the things I like about the listeners of this, uh, this show is that people rush to get these books. I mean, I meet people on the street, uh, get emails all the time. People are like, okay, I got the book. So my, one of my favorite things to ask an author is while people have ordered the book, and it's on the way, what can they start right now in terms of getting their path, <laughs> getting an idea and conceptualizing their path and starting to think about one practical way to get on the right path and moving in a direction to remove some of that stress? Yeah, the first thing, the easiest one I can give you is the book has a website, zenmoney.net, and right in there, there's about, there's a section inventively called blog, which has about 20 of the small steps from the book. So they can go in there and they can just pick a random step and see how that feels and, and play it, try it on. The simplest ones though are really, you know, understanding yourself about money. And that really is the most, the perfect one. Okay, let's put it this way. Most people will say, you need to budget. You need to budget. Okay, I'll budget. Mm. What am I spending? Where, where am I now? I was like, you know, you're, not, you're never tracking it. If you don't track, you've got no idea how close or far away you are to your budget. Uh, Dan Kahneman, uh, when he was a professor, he invented this concept called the planning fallacy. And, you know, it's no accident that he came up with the planning fallacy because every week his students would come to him and he'd say, when are you going to hand in that essay, that dissertation? And they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, fr Friday. So you know the last two essays you handed in three weeks late? Yeah, but this one is going to be on time. And it never was. It was never on time. Um, and and some, some interesting Canadian researchers about three, four years ago, they did a study, and they came up with one called the budgeting fantasy. And it's exactly the same. You, you can ask oh, wow. people, set yourself a budget, how much are you going to save? And it never happens unless you actually know and track what you do. And the other thing is put the money away immediately. But the reason I would, I would start with tracking, most importantly as the first thing, is because you can do it even if you don't believe you've got enough money to save, which is wow. an important starting point for all of us. Is, you know, you can track, you know, even if yeah. you're spending 
110% of your monthly income, you can track where it's going. And at the end of that time, you know, you can get used to tracking that and retracking it exactly. And you can look at it and go, you know what, that's perfect. I'm sorry, but I need to spend 110%. I've got to, you know, I'm going to have to, to work this through because I can't give any of that up. But you'll at least know. And that's, you know, knowledge is the beginning of all of this, right? And that you can start today. And if you do have enough money, the reason you should start with tracking is because it's hard. It's genuinely difficult you just to actually write these things down and have the, you know, be honest with yourself and say, you know what? I did spend a lot last night when I went out with my friends. I spent this much, you know, and, and write that down and admit it to yourself on paper that you spent that money and that's where it goes every week or every month. That's hard. That's the hard work. And that's where we get back to Zen. Not about sitting cross-legged and forgetting the world exists. It's the exact opposite. It's about looking it in the face and knowing who you are and what you do. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things, you know, like is when we go back to psychology one-on-one, hmm. when people use money to solve for some of their deepest insecurities, you know, I remember as a kid, I grew up on a farm in North Carolina and I, there was a time when things were struggling on the farm. My parents were, one of them had lost their job. Things were just, we had like a tough couple of years mm-hmm. and, and they couldn't afford to buy me the Michael Jordan shoes. And so they bought me the knockoff shoes, the fake one, you know, yeah. on the, on the back of Jordan, he's got his legs spread and his arm in the air. They bought me the one where, his legs were together. <laughs> I had the fake ones. And I grew up with this deep sense that I need to get the most expensive shoes. And I remember there was a time early in my career where I looked up and I was in deep debt trying to solve for that teenage insecurity. And for anybody out there who's spending money, they're buying the most luxurious car. They're buying insane amounts of this and that to try to solve for some sort of childhood pain, what advice do you have to them or for them? Yeah, I think so. my favorite is another form of money journaling. And my favorite with that is, so the first one tracking is obviously just tracking and spending. The second one is a form of free writing. And you sit there with a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, and you, you can write down the times when you were happiest. It's a really genuine the happiest times of your life. And, you know, every time I do it, it tends to turn be something else. You know, I remember some other event. But I do it in the book, and I give you a bunch of, you know, crappy moments, uh, and I take you through my thinking. You know, like, you know, because you know, I, I basically, as I wanted to do that section, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it live, and I'll write it down, and I'll explain what I'm thinking as I'm doing it. Um, and then what I did is immediately after that, sit down and write down some of the most expensive occasions of my life. Wow. And then I, you know, because I'm a, you know, because I work in finance, I'm a geek. I look at that and I look for a correlation. And essentially you have to find a perfect correlation. You know, it's like everything expensive is very, very happy. Everything happy is very, very expensive. Then, you know, spending money makes you happy because I had so much pushback from people at different times saying, Oh, I don't want to save. I want to enjoy myself now. I'm like, so you don't realize you just said enjoyment equals money. Uh, that's wow. what you just said. Because if enjoyment doesn't equal money, you don't have to, you could save and enjoy yourself. 
But writing down that list and looking at it and just goes, you know what, I really liked that occasion. I really enjoyed that. I should do that more. It didn't cost a lot of money. And it was like, and I did that and it was crazy. So one of the angriest times in my whole life was in a like a Michelin restaurant. And I got the bill. And I was like, dude, you are you this is wrong. This bill is wrong. <laughs> and I was like, you can't really, you know, there's just no way. <laughs> and I remember it now, and it's in the it's in the book because it's still it's one of those like, my most expensive occasions. I was like, that, that can't be right. This can't this bill can't be right. Um, and it ruined the occasion. It made me really angry and unhappy. And and that, so, so to me, there is no correlation because I put in there. My happiest times are family holidays with the kids, and they're just really happy, and they were expensive because they're holidays with the kids. And but the fact that it's not every event that made me happy was expensive means that there's no correlation. And that means yeah. I can pick things that aren't so expensive. And that to me is, is crucial because the psychology of why you feel you need to show that is very, very hard. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I have similar, I have similar stories to you. I was the only kid in my school, in my class that, that got free school meals, you know, because it was state assisted meals. Everyone else was buying their own lunch at school and I was getting it handed by the state, um, you know, in a homemade jumper when they all had one bought in a shop. Uh, and it was like, yeah, you, you, you can desire those things, but equally you cannot. You can move beyond it. And it's, it's how you tell yourself those stories. But that's hard. That's really, yes. really hard work. And for me, yeah. I think it's like a simple, a simple step towards that is just journal. Journal where you spend the money didn't make you happy. I think one of the other tips we have in, in the book, which is one of my favorites that I learned, is using what's called the doorway effect to, to good benefit. You won't know about this so much because... You look a lot younger than me. But as you get older, the doorway effect starts to hit you more. And that's it's the the doorway effect is when you forget everything, when you walk out, you know, you're gonna go from the living room to the kitchen, and you go in the kitchen, like, why did I come in here? And it happens to all people all the time. It's actually it's a mental process that, that wipes all your short-term memory when you go through a door. Um, and we forget things all the time. But I think it's very useful if you're in a shop and you're kind of like, I feel pressure, I feel peer pressure, even though there's no peers, and I feel that desire to buy this just for some shallow reason, walk out the door. You can go back in, but if you walk out that door, you'll probably forget all those reasons that burning you so much. It's a short-term build-up of, of cortisol and stress, and you think the only way out is purchase. Just walk out the door and you'll probably forget all about it, and you'll be fine. Michael Gilmore? Thanks for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. It was wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much.